Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. In 2020, events have yet again shone a light on racial inequalities across the globe. Australia is not an exception. Twenty years on from the reconciliation walks of the year 2000, this nation's journey towards a more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind and in the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. I asked the Prime Minister, how good is Australia? Please explain. Mate, this is just impossible. Too many people were confused. Uh, You bet you are. Uh, You bet I am. I have always believed in miracles. That's not a policy. Not now. Not ever. I mean, these comments are completely inappropriate. Oh, I'm sure she's right. Yeah, but I ain't spending any time on it. How pathetic. You're a classic space invader. Disgusting, mud-sucking creatures. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Taste yeah. of democracy, very good. Welcome to Democracy Sausage Extra. I'm Mark Kenny from the ANU's Australian Studies Institute. I'm talking this week with two of the most scrupulously fair chroniclers of Australian politics, the Australian Financial Review's political editor Phil Curry and the Age and Sydney Morning Herald's chief political correspondent David Crow. Now, I don't mind telling you there are none better than these two journalists if you want comprehensive, detailed and sophisticated coverage of national politics. So I'm delighted to have them here in our modest studio here at the ANU. And when I say federal politics, I mean that literally because a key focus of this discussion is the way in which our two main levels of government have performed and how they've interacted with each other. Phil Curry, these are quite astonishing times, really, aren't they? We've seen governments expand like that sort of space invader foam <laughs> uh, into just about every aspect of the economy and society. And it's it's really been quite astonishing because there's been sort of little resistance to it. I suppose that's because we all understand what it's about, but it's it's astonishing to think about the powers that the state has at the moment. Well, we're a fairly compliant nation. You know, we tend to, you know grant our governments extra powers when they say they're needed, you know, whether it's terrorism and so, or so forth. But And you only got to go back a few months. At the start of this thing, I remember in the initial news reports when the government said, oh, they must invoke laws to keep us socially separated and things. I remember when Christian Porter first raised that. And I remember back in February and March, I thought, how absurd, as if that's, you know, mm. as if that's ever going to happen. Now look where we are. So, But I, I, the, the most, I think, astonishing or biggest change has been the exercise of power by the states. They've vested themselves extraordinary powers, plus they've used old powers they've had hanging around for ages. And in some stages, <clears throat> some situations like closing the borders, they've just made them up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I think it is clearly unconstitutional what the, some of the premiers are doing, but no one other than Clive, Clive Palmer really wants to take them on over it. And we're just 
letting them do it. So it's it's sort of like this throwback almost to pre-federation. Um, but the difference between now and a hundred and something years ago was back then no one really moved around much and and commerce was very local. Now, you know, everyone moves interstate, lives interstate, has family interstate, business doesn't really care about state borders. So it's thrown up just myriad complications and inconveniences across people's lives, whether it's, you know, farmers or sick kids trying to get to doctors or, you know, especially in these border communities. So I think that's my first sort of, you know, observation, what's going on. And secondly, I think it's ex- this coronavirus has exposed flaws, glaring flaws in, in federation, things like aged care and border security. So you've seen what's going on in the aged care thing. You've got the federal government blaming the state governments and the state governments blaming the federal governments for what's happened. And it's the same with border security. You've got two federal agencies and a state agencies all standing around looking at each other saying it's not my problem. So uh, j- j- just off the oh, yeah, prima facie, these are the these are the sorts of things we've not really tested before or had to, had to live with, and uh, I think there's quite big problems with both. So what do you think, David? Are you surprised about the way in which we've accepted these rules, These, you know, the police slapping huge fines on people, um, all these other rules? I mean, is it simply that uh, this is sui generis, it's, it's, it's uh, unique to this circumstance, this viral threat, people see it that way and fully expect all those powers to be wound back and that's why they're 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 not complaining about it or i mean is it a revelation to you or did would you have expected it to go this way no i think it's gone as you would expect people have been willing to knuckle down and do what they need to do to get the virus under control i think there's been pushback at excessive excessive policing we saw that in in uh i think in victoria i think also in new south wales in the early stages where Cops are going up to people, you know, in the park. And I think Not there was Sydney, pushback. Yeah, yeah. yeah pushback yeah. at that. And it was ridiculous because what we are learning is that being out in the open air is a safer place to be. So, you know, there were problems in the early phases. Um, I think that there'll still be later on a story to be told about how many of the fines were actually enforced and how many of them were successfully challenged. You know, those kinds of Yeah, that's of a points. really interesting point, isn't it? Because mm. I guess some people are just going to say, well, I had a legit- legitimate reason to be there or that yeah. was and the magistrate will accept it. Or I got no with money, a statement. what are you going to do? Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they will. Or I had to get a kebab. Yeah. I th- <laughs> but I, yeah, I think that what's been really interesting to me is – some of the points Phil made about this tension between the states and the feds and the lack of clarity about who's doing what, and it is getting to a maddening stage. And I I think that one thing that happened in the last week or so highlighted that. It was the reporting to the Ruby Princess. We know that Scott Morrison stood at a press conference and said that he was putting the Australian Border Force in command of that situation. We know that the letter of the law was different and the review into the Ruby Princess found that the Australian Border Force was not really in command. Who was in command? Well, it turned out to be New South Wales Health after all. And so these kind of points about lack of clarity are, I think, um, the, the issues where there will be pushback from voters because voters will not cop the excuses and they won't cop this endless blame game where leaders point at each other and there's never a solution to what's going on. We are getting to a point where even though we've got a national cabinet that that does a very good job, that does get agreement at the high level, we're seeing this fragmentation beneath it. 
over exactly who does what. Yeah. And aged care has been a really good example of that. And before we move along a bit, I think that that came up just recently when Phil and I were actually talking about aged care in the press gallery corridor, who does what? Why isn't aged care um, handed to the states? That's a big question that a big crisis like that this well, well, forces right now, you to think about. Right now, when I think Scott Morrison would probably like to hand it, wish, well, wishes he did. Well, well Phil asked delivery. Scott Morrison that question. And, he, 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 you know, didn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't reject it, did he? No, he didn't reject it, but he didn't. It looked, he, he looked a, a moment like he hadn't thought about it, but surely that's exactly what we need to be thinking about. Um, the Federation is not working well enough. It's time to think about how to make it work better. This crisis is revealing the problems. But the other thing, and I think is, is of a more serious level when it comes to our basic democratic rights, is, is, is people are having their lives incredibly adversely affected by decisions of government over which they have no say in, right? So Anastasia Pallas has got an election coming in October, so she shuts her borders to New South Wales. By their very actions and the fact they rushed ads out hours later, it was an overtly political move. It was too heavy-handed. People in New South Wales, it doesn't just affect people in Queensland, that decision. It affects people everywhere else. And I know, I personally, I know people who lost businesses because of that decision. Now, so you're having decisions made for you by governments that are affecting people outside the jurisdiction of that government. So you're, you're basically, you're basically right, your basic right in a democracy is to vote against a government which annoys you. You don't even have that. So there's this you, – and I'm, you're seeing it with these cross-border, these border communities where these outrageously sort of unfair things are being inflicted on people without logic or compassion. Well, there was that case that was on AM a day or two ago. Little of a, a, yeah, a little three-year-old girl yeah. who was having cancer treatment in Adelaide and who lived, Could, couldn't get there anymore. Lived in Murraytown, I think, or 20 kilometres, yeah. uh, the Victorian side of that border. Fellow was, couldn't go from South Australia to bury his mother in Victoria because he would not allowed to have been back into South Australia at all. He's a resident of that state. Yeah. Now, why he can't just have a COVID test before he goes home and isolates, you know, what, what you know, yeah. th- this sort of madness. So I think that impotence people are feeling now is also fueling is fueling is fueling this anger, and the governments have to be very careful because you know, as we now know, the vaccine, if there is going to be one, is still six to twelve months away, and they're going to the government's going to keep asking us to make these extraordinary sacrifices through the Christmas period as well, and I think civil disobedience is is you know is is not that far off if if they don't start. Just treating people compassionately and with logic, and you know, rather than hide behind this catch cry of its good politics. The the, the number of state MP, state premier, press secretary said, "Oh, I made it, but it's working really well here." Like McGowan in Western Australia has no business shutting his border to South Australia or the Northern Territory or the ACT for that matter, but it's work and treat politically. And neither does really Queensland to the ACT no, either. Really, they can the run ACT. that argument. Yeah, that's that there's right. no hard border. So for I think the with ACT. Queensland, it's about. It's about northern New South Wales, isn't it? Because I think you can raise um, concerns about cities. Um, Certainly there are clear hotspots in Sydney. But um, early on in this whole thing, uh, Scott Morrison used to talk about um, localised lockdowns and even by local government area. And we're just not seeing that. We're not seeing the flexibility to treat regional New South Wales differently to the city of Sydney where you've got clear outbreaks in in a highly congested mm. area, and so that flexibility 
is not is not being attempted. We we got close to it a couple of times. We got close to it in Tasmania and also in the early stages that preceded the stage three lockdown, the second lot in Victoria, didn't we, with those towers in in, mm. in North Melbourne? Yes, they, they were doing it by postcode there for yep. a while, but. The look of that, you know, is is horrendous, yeah. isn't it? Really, when you're sort of being blockades across streets yeah. and and uh, you know, people on one side of the street have free movement and people on the no, other side you? don't, and you know, it's but it's better than the whole state. But 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 I think now Victoria is so out of control. I, I don't think you can question the border closures with Victoria. But well, in the case of South Australia, I think you should at least let your own residents back home, you know, with conditions. But I can understand the sort of nervousness around the Victorian border, but. A lot of these other uh, other decisions are disproportionate and politically motivated, and uh, you know it's just, it's just not the best. What 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 it really reflects is this retreat in, in in our sentiment. We were killing this thing in terms of suppression, you know, and and all the states agreed that we're going to live. With, we agreed in, on May eight at national cabinet, we had this thing successfully suppressed, so we could start opening up our economies in three stages by the end of July. That was the agreement. And every, and remember the national mood was good. It was the best it had been for a long time. The unemployment figures were fantastic for June as everyone started opening up again. And then, and, and it was even the view of the PM and others that states would race to open up their economies to get a competitive advantage over those who stayed shut down. And that was the case, you know. They were gloating about in South Australian WA about opening up while Victoria was still in clampdown. This is, yeah, yeah. And now that whole mentality has turned on its head. It's now one of fear, yeah. You know, because Victoria has has messed up, and all the other premiers are looking at what's happening there, and no one's really interested anymore about opening being up their, first. No, they just stick their hand, get Morrison to stick his hand in his po- in his pocket and bail them out. Yeah, it's no but, longer about being first; it's about being toughest yeah, in terms yeah, yeah. of protection. It's a whole mentality of retreat now, and yeah. that is not good. It's not good for the economy. It's not good for people's psyche because there's we've lost that sort of hope. That, that yeah, although, I, look, I would mm. okay if Victoria gets the numbers down mm. on the trajectory that they're currently on, mm. and they will, then mm. yeah, then then there is a chance of of another, um, I guess, sense of optimism, and that's because that optimism yes. that we felt in May and early June, when we didn't really know the full scale of what was happening in Melbourne, um, that optimism came because the measures worked, didn't they? Remember mm. that that early frenetic stage in March where, you know, um, uh, Victoria and New South Wales were pushing harder for lockdowns and Morrison wasn't sure whether to go that hard. In the end, it actually worked. It got the first wave under control. If the Victorian numbers show that this wave will it will get under control, then I think that there's a chance that people will uh, have that sense of relief that we saw but, in May. But, but will another premier who gets a few hours? This, but the trouble is other premiers who are getting just a handful of cases are panicking now. So this whole the whole idea of learning to live with COVID was we would get our economies open, there would be outbreaks. Morrison said that. There's going to be setbacks, mistakes made, outbreaks. But the whole idea was to have the health system and the contact tracing and the testing regime so they could be contained and you could work around them. So New South Wales is, is probably the only example, mm. of, and the ACT by extension, of, of a jurisdiction that has fulfilled that promise to live in, to operate in a COVID-safe environment. And it is an interesting contrast. Yeah. They are bringing those outbreaks under control yeah, in New South because Wales. because they've got good contact tracing. And they're, they're showing that it can yeah. be done. It's just that we saw the Victorian but, outbreak mm. 
uh, just grew so well, that, that's, that, that, that's the other end of the spectrum. That's what you don't do because they didn't have the tools in place. But but in between you've got So, like, so just to stop there, you, you were saying they didn't have – the contact tracing no. was nowhere near as good as no, New South Wales. it was terrible. And so as a result of that, when the numbers came out, they escalated very quickly. They, what, what contact tracing they did have was overwhelmed by the task then in yeah. terms of numbers and that yeah. becomes – But this of, is the thing. I mean I, it's incredibly politically contentious to make judgments about – you know, one state versus the other. But this is a completely unforgiving pandemic. Every leader gets judged on the numbers. Mm. And, you know, you can look at New South Wales and you can actually see that they are faster and more effective at bringing well, out state control. Are. The numbers yeah. show that. Because when they did that May 8 agreement, they all agreed at National Cabinet that you had the vital sort of preconditions for reopening was testing, tracing, and 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 what and, and, and a robust health system, to, and so you could protect your elderly and your vulnerable, while you could you know corral these outbreaks. Now, the the whole idea of contact tracing was if someone got the coronavirus diagnosed, anyone with whom they'd been in contact had to be traced within twenty four hours. Now, only on Friday last week did Daniel Andrews say Victoria's now doing that. Of ninety nine percent of the cases, so two months mm. it's taken them to get to where the starting point was, and that was because you know there's been Channel Nine's reported that they just they let all these contact traces go in June and back into the health department. The health department there didn't have the logistics in place. They didn't want the army or the police involved. Gladys Berejiklian, by comparison, set up three floors of a government office building in Sydney with a former police commissioner in charge of logistics. Uh, Anastasia Palace has probably the best system in the country. I mean, she had, what, seven cases a week ago. They got none again, mm. right? So if Queensland and New South Wales had this, you know, the same systems as Victoria, they'd be in a – New South Wales would be getting 100, 200 cases a day by now. In, in, in Victoria, there were people getting text messages two weeks after they after they they'd been in contact with someone with coronavirus in New South Wales, they're still they're getting them within twelve to twenty four hours, and that is just absolutely critical. So that's yeah. that's the error. I mean, what's done is done, but um, it it sort of shows it was an anomaly. It, it it's it's not an evidence that we have to we can eliminate this virus. It's just if you're going you can live with it, but you just got to you got to have your act together. And, and let's go back to that point about what happens when uh, going to your point, David, about. The, the possibility of some level of optimism coming back once Victoria is under control. We've just seen New Zealand have a very small number of cases and very quickly apply a lockdown of of Auckland. Um, that seems to be there's obviously. I mean, that's a government that's facing election too. Mm. So um, Jacinda Ardern, no doubt, does not want the situation running out of control for any reason. I mean, you know, for, for, for mm. good health reasons, of course, but also for political reasons. So Phil's point is right, isn't it? That there'll be this kind of trigger, hair trigger approach to um, to any outbreaks in the future. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah, and I think also that people can accept that if you go hard and you act as swiftly as possible, then you are actually making the right decision for the economy in the long term. I mean, one of the issues here is that it's a lag indicator. And that's what Jacinda Ardern was making the point, that when you find out you've got cases, then you've had cases for mm. some period of time, right? And that's how you, why you need to, you know, she says, as soon as you have any cases, act. But, yeah. of course, that, that can be devastating for the economy. Yeah, but they're, they're sort of – New Zealand's an example. You actually – the elimination strategy only goes so far. Mm. You have to wipe your economy right out to try and eliminate it and you're still going to get outbreaks. So, you know, where we – 
they've done a, a, a very good job over there, but it's easier to manage a country of just three or four million people. Than, and with no know, states. Yeah, with, no, st- with no states. And, 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 and everything's unilateral. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things that's exposed is, is almost the powerlessness of the Commonwealth. I mean, other, other than a checkbook. Well, I was looking um, at something the yeah. other day about uh, the difference between, difference between Britain and Australia during the Second World War and when it came to, you know, reconstruction plans, um, you know, to get the economy going, to keep it keep it geared up and to have reconstruction after the war. Um, the sorts of reforms that they were able to get through in, in Britain, they weren't able to get through in Australia because of that, hmm. that federation. Uh, the states just wouldn't wouldn't buy into it. So you had the creation of the NHS and and, and the nationalisation of coal and things like that that came out of the British Reconstruction, but in Australia we were much more timid. So it is quite interesting the the, the, the way the machinery of, mm. of Australia, the way it's set up, has um, it makes that sort of progress quite hard. Well, as everyone, as everyone says, if you started from scratch, you wouldn't have the states in Australia, or you'd you know you'd redesign it differently. But um, yeah. But it's you know they're they're governments they've got their their, their patches to win their their electorates to impress and that's what they're doing and uh, but but it's an interesting point about the economic recovery because the premiers are contributing in terms of the economic recovery there is a cost to Victoria and it's incurring that and it's taking on debt to do that but we are seeing an argument about who's doing the real heavy lifting on that and if the and you can understand that national cabinet I think. In a, in a better world, would now be moving to a bigger debate about the economic recovery. Mm. But they're still grappling with this, these breakouts and with lockdowns. And we're not seeing um, from the states, I think, um, enough focus on the economic recovery because they're so busy on other fronts. We're back, we're and maybe we will get mode. that, that um, repeat of history where they are actually holding back um, national agreements about the economic recovery because I think – you actually have to look at some very big ideas to lift Australia out of this recession, um, bigger than the ideas from the from the global financial crisis. And that requires buy-in from the premiers. And I don't think the national debate is anywhere, has got anywhere near to that yet. Just no. on that national, uh, on the on the global financial crisis, all three of us covered it at the time, and uh, and and you know we were as people covering it, we were well aware of what was happening in other parts of the world, and we were you know staying close to to, to government ministers and finding out what was what what decisions were being made, and on the basis of what fears those decisions were being made. But then, of course, the electorate didn't really experience much in the way of hardship no. from the GFC at all. I wonder whether just Bearing that in mind, whether there was a bit of that sense after the first wave, if I can put it like that. You know, you talked about the optimism, whether there was a sense that, uh, well, we got past it and it's not, you know, there's a sort of a bit of Australian exceptionalism again. You know, we've got through it. Um, I I think that that is an element in some parts of the community. Some parts of the community are not feeling it that badly. I mean, Look, there well, are there are some job. who are protected by yeah government job or mm. other jobs mm. in in areas which are still secure. You're not feeling it, or if you're in WA or something um, like that. I mean, depending it's, on it's location. Kind of in- also, some people have been insulated through JobKeeper. That's not enough for mm. some people, but for others, it's actually been okay. I've, I'm finding it really interesting looking at mm. some of the company results where there are companies still doing okay, mm. and you know they're still selling stuff. People are still buying. So uh, this will change when we see JobKeeper and JobSeeker cut back and then JobSeeker stop. 
Uh, Sorry, the job job seeker temporary increase will stop. And so I think that's the really tough question, how tough it's going to be after that point. But I even think before that it was a lot worse than the GFC. Because Labor did what they did in the GFC and rolled all that money out the door, no one lost their job. I mean, unemployment didn't even go over 6%. It stayed with a five in front of it. A lot of people were actually better off. Yeah, well, I I remember, you know, interest rates went, fell 4%. Interest rate, yeah. 4%. And I remember just piling money onto my mortgage at the time because we all still had our jobs. Yeah. So we were all still getting paid. And there were people getting checks in the mail. Yeah, and everything was cheap. And, uh, you know, the government was so, it it was actually a pretty good time if you're working. I mean, the bill came later, of course, but in terms of debt and so forth, but, you know, now it just strikes you what a good, good job Labor did and how, how unfounded and how unfair so many of those petty criticisms that the coalition levelled at the time. Yeah, that's why you I've know, tried to put that to a few ministers yeah, at the press club. Ha- ha- they don't ever get much of I mean, an a handful on. of checks to dead people. I mean, you know, yeah. JobSeeker paid $6 billion in, in, in excess wages, you know, which was the size of the surplus for this year. I mean, there was, there's been so many unintended consequences and what you could argue is waste with this thing. So I think it's put that that – that that argument to bed forever. The, the Labor mismanaged the GFC. No way. But but back to the point. You know, that even though we got through this thing by sort of June, people still had the pants frightened off them for those. Remember those long dole queues. Remember how scared we were when we saw those long. We didn't see that in the GFC. Yeah, but that's what brought the yeah. wage subsidy. Oh, I know, but but and- JobKeeper still didn't. JobKeeper was like. A comfort blanket yeah. that made people, but it still was just a, it was a band aid that was. Remember, it was six months. Six months. Oh, yeah, we'll be yeah. through this and, in six and months. They were quite strong. Yeah. No, on that I, point, I know people who lost businesses who had workers on JobKeeper. None of that happened during the GFC, hmm. or very little happened in the GFC. So, the starting point for this thing was a lot more frightening and a lot more sobering, uh, you know, for, for, for anyone. Yeah, but, I know. But, I was just merely making yeah. the point that but psychologically it was there was this yeah. sense once we'd got past the peak and the numbers mm. were right down and it oh, looked well, like I think Australia was, the was licking it. I think it was the relief, Mark, because we, we were conditioned to thinking this thing's going to go, you know, remember Morrison saying at least six months mm. and possibly in the next year. What, whatever and, we do, we yeah. have to do for six months, he yeah, kept yeah. saying. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's, that's the time frame they're working on. So mm. we, we, I think it was just this sense of relief when we started getting yeah. out of it and we had this thing suppressed. Remember the numbers went down to nothing. And and, and there was that, food back on the supermarket shelves. Yeah, and the dunny I mean, paper returned. And, you yeah, know, that's right. And in a sense – um, that does highlight the anxiety because um, it was easy to kind of laugh at the people stocking up on loo paper, but that was a really interesting and I think important indicator in retrospect about the community anxiety. Yeah, I agree. Mm. And it was funny, I saw a list of uh, the symptoms that, you know, because they're studying this virus and they're now trying to order the way symptoms emerge and that there's um, some new work being done on surveying people who've been infected mm. and getting them to keep diaries about when they notice particular symptoms. And this is giving, teaching them new things about how to map the virus and how it operates. And one of those things, funnily enough, one of those symptoms is diarrhea. Now, remember how often we were told, <laughs> you know, during that whole loo thing that it had nothing to do with that end of your body. And it turns out, well, actually, it does. You know, there's a fever and there's oh, the goodness. cough and there's the aches and Could diarrhea is one of them. Yeah, anyway, right. on Didn't that – No, that's true. <laughs> on that runny note, we'll just take a very quick break. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. 
burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Sharon Bessel. Policy Forum Pod is the podcast for those who want to dig a little deeper into the policy challenges facing Australia and its region. Each week, we bring together expert analysis to tackle the big issues facing our region and to propose policy solutions. It's insightful, it's positive, and it's always fun. Policy Forum Pod is out every Friday. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Or find us at policyforum.net slash podcasts. Welcome back. Now... We won't talk any more about diarrhea, I promise. Uh, but what I am interested in uh, getting your views on, and this is perhaps mm. a, a sort of a more philosophical point, but why is it that we have um, some societies, and this this is true of democracies, not just you know radically different polities to ours, but mm. some that are quite similar, that respond completely differently, essentially to the same information, like New Zealand, obviously. They, they lock down. Everyone, everyone's you know rowing in the same direction. Australia's been pretty much that sort of story. But there are places around the world where even with vast numbers of deaths, they are still defiantly not wearing masks. They are still refusing to close down their their economies. I'm just interested. What what, what is oh, what is the sort of different psyche di- about different that? Mind, is is different that a different mindsets? psyche about yeah. government, or is it about different psyche about th- death? The comparison is is the U.S where you've that's got that co- yeah. cohort of people who will never accept the authority of the central government and that's deeply ingrained into an element of that society. It's an interesting contrast with Australia. But even state governments, I mean, even the state, you know, they're resisting state governments mm. as well. But don't forget, I mean, I think one of the things that's led to you know, a fairly orderly behaviour is we have a very good health and welfare system. Yeah. So people, you know, over there, if the government makes you stay home, you don't eat in the US, you know, that, that there's the, one, no of, it is one of the cruelest societies in the OECD. If not, it's mm. you know, for such a wealthy society, it's an extraordinarily cruel way. And you know, poverty is treated as a sin there rather than something to be helped. So, yeah. you know, if you don't work, you don't eat. You know, and there's there's no Medicare, there's no free COVID testing, there's no, you know, here we got free COVID tests. The prime minister is promising a free vaccination if and when someone develops one. Yeah, you know, we're getting a wage subsidy. It's it's we have such a good welfare and health system that I think that just calms people. But if you don't have that, mm. you know, you're just not going to do. You know, you're going to be scared and you're going to. And part of that's material in in mm. all those things mm. you've just listed, and part of it's about trust because there's something coming back the other way from the government. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah and you're realizing now in America, it's revealing those flaws in the society at a much greater scale than we've mm. seen, and they've always been there. And the treatment of the underclass has always been like that. And now it's been it's laid bare. Not, it's been laid bare. What's the Absolutely. joke? Yeah, you know, if you want to, if you want to get a, yeah, you know, if you want to know if you got it in America, just cough on a rich person. You know, because <laughs> yeah, the, they um, might, you know. <laughs> but there's also Sweden, right? So Sweden yes. went for a completely different approach to Australia, and I think that they've they've realised the flaws of the more open slather approach. And I I've got to say I wasn't expecting Sweden to be the kind of society that mm. took that no, approach. No, that, but they've that, got I a different government mind. structure yeah. as well. I think Very they were bound too. by the medical mm. advice to to take that direction, but I think that they've been caught out and they're seeing that that's that it was not the way to go and some of them, some of them in Sweden have actually acknowledged that. Yeah, but the, I think there've been a few examples around where even when they've had what to us would be very worrying numbers. I mean, we've mm. been sweating on these numbers of new infections mm. in Victoria, you know, when they were in the 400s and the 500s and then, you know, a couple over 700. And 
and, and obviously some of the death toll numbers on a daily basis, mainly in aged care, but, but nonetheless in, in some other places as well. They've been big news in Australia. And then you look overseas and you see places where are having significantly higher hmm. numbers and yet essentially still got the place running. And it's, uh, it's, it, I don't know. I, I wonder also whether in the US it isn't about just essentially being more, more, uh, conversant with death. You know, with violence. I mean, I you know, think they, 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 people I, get killed there all the time uh, in gun violence. Well, there's there's there's, yes. le- there's less empathy for the, for, you know, for your fellow man or woman. It's a cutthroat you know, society. Dog eat dog, you know. Yeah, hey, sucker, you died too bad. You know, it's, mm. they don't have that empathy that you know we have, for example. But I think in other countries, bad government. I mean, Britain has handled this almost as appallingly as the US. They're just a bit more civilized over yeah. there. But the, Boris Johnson was appalling in his early management of this thing, and they still haven't even shut their borders properly and so forth. So. You know, and they have a pretty crappy health system. It's not worse than ours, but nowhere near as bad as America's. So that's a sort of an in-between example. But they have a, a shocking rate, you know, of, of infection and death over there. But they're just, I don't know, they're just stoic about it. It's so revealing yeah. too that the um, American share market is back up again. Yeah, I heard today they, that the, the rebound was the strongest on record back from a to bear I market. Think where they yeah. were at a rich yeah, man, they've rich man don't get the Rona, so, and you know. <laughs> and that's that's the thing they they are shrugging off the level of death as long as the market. You, you can okay. buy yourself health over there, and and, and fund, fundamentally, I mean nothing structurally wrong with the economy. I mean the difference between the GFC that was, yeah, you know, the banks collapsed on the low dock loans, and it ricocheted through the banking system through the northern hemisphere, and the whole economy just suffered almost a structural collapse. There's not as the you know the June unemployment numbers showed in Australia. As soon as this thing went away. Everyone opened up again and we started getting back to normal very quickly. So, you know, it, where there's wealth, there's protection. And, and whereas in Australia, we're sharing the wealth for a much more equitable society. Yeah. So, you know, we're using enormous sums of taxpayers' money to cushion everybody. But over there, you just buy yourself a, you know, buy yourself protection and get back to it. And, yeah. You know, and these companies, I mean, everyone makes money in a crisis, you know. Was, and there's a lot know, of pent up demand when you yeah, come out of it. Drug of companies, online sales. I mean, not everyone's suffering here. It's, uh, there's plenty of data to be made out of misery. What will be fascinating, though, will be the extent to which we see change in the way work is done. I mean, lots of enterprises that you talk to, um, they've been going through rationalization. I mean, they're forced mm. into it by, by, by having no cash mm. flow and, and, uh, and, you know, going back to tours a bit in terms of whatever it is that they do and, and, and thinking about how many people they'll have on afterwards. It's, it's hard to imagine we're not going to see quite a significant tale of long-term unemployment out of this. Yeah. Even though we will have oh, that yeah, bounce much, back. You know, the balance much, sheet will look like there'll be a lot of people yeah. on the dole. Worse than the global financial crisis. Well, yeah, no question. Is, yeah. And I think this is, this is the big, the big issue. I mean, how long will that go on for and who actually has a plan to lift them back out of unemployment if that's even possible? Because I can still remember Wayne Swan saying during the GFC, remember that some people who, who are unemployed now don't mm. get back. Yeah. And this is the thing about Especially you know, if they're over 50 or whatever. Right. Yeah. Affecting the cost different, of the different age groups. Yeah. 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 No, and that was one of the admirable things Labor did. They just kept people in work and it just yeah, – I'm, I'm, optim- I'm more optimistic with this one because I just think if you – know, I'm quite buoyed by the comments in recent days and weeks about the likelihood of a vaccine and I just think if there is one, I think the economy can recover very quickly because, as I said, you know, there aren't any structural flaws. So I'm a bit more confident the unemployment lag may not be as bad as it has been in other recessions, despite the forecast, because people will just get back to work. But it is fast tracking 
trends that that were already happening, like the decline of retail. Will, will everyone open shops again? I know. I think well, Sol- a lot of Solomon people have been Lou. shopping online for the first time. Well, well, that's are they, right. Are they going like to go back to yeah. it? Oh, yeah, Solomon Lou, yeah, the premium group yeah. has got all those shops. I think his online sales have gone up something like a thousand percent. Right. Um, you know, our industry, I work for newspapers, you know, if you, our newspaper sales aren't great. They weren't great before this. They're, they're even less great now, but our online traffic is going through the roof. Um, so it, it, it's accelerating, I think, think trends that were happening. And I said, we'll see, we'll see changes like that in the workplace and society, but I'm not convinced this work at home thing is going to take off. Everyone I know has been working from home, just wants to get, get, get out of there and get back to the office. But... <laughs> And, uh, well, yeah. I've been wondering too about some of the infrastructure stuff. Do we really need to fast track the Western Sydney Airport, given the outlook for <laughs> you know for aviation <laughs> over the near term? You know, oh some of these, God. some of, the, and and do we what do we need in terms of um, urban infrastructure if people do start shifting towards working from home yeah. um, work a little bit more? Now they may not do that five days a week. But maybe they'll work from home. Yeah, one of those five that's days, certainly or been two of those five experience. days. Yeah, you'll yeah. do a bit more from home than you normally did. But. My experience here at ANU has been that um, you can be more flexible about when you come. So if you've got a meeting at ten o'clock, you can come in at, at sort of nine thirty or whatever. Mm. You might have been sitting at your mm. computer for two hours at home, but but you can do that. And the thing is, you can park. Right, normally around yeah, here you can't. If you don't get here early, you can't park. Maybe they're annoyed. Everyone's going to get back. Everyone get back to work, and you can't get parked. So I know guys in Sydney who are driving to work for the first time in their lives because <laughs> you can, and you know, and, but, and you're more confident there's not going to be a parking inspector oh, around. Yeah, but yeah, that's true. But it? yeah, they've, but they've even bagged some of the, uh, the, the you know the the parking uh, meters up in uh, some parts of Canberra that I've seen. But getting back to Crowey's point, I mean, there will be, you know, what we're, we're going to hit 10% unemployment, which is more, almost double the GFC, and and it will take a long time, even, you know, mm. despite my optimism. And Especially if you work in aviation or any well, of those. Well, jo- 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 you know, people are going to – the jobs just aren't going to reappear. Yeah. And and job generation is, is just crucial, employment generation. And, I, you know, speaking from experience, uh, I spent a year on the dole – after the um after the the recession in ninety one, and it's miserable. It mm. is absolutely miserable. It happens in phases where you think you'll get work in the area you're qualified. Then you think then that won't happen. So you get something less in your qualified area. Then you realise you'll get nothing at all in your qualified area. So you go for other jobs. Then you don't get those. <clears throat> then you start going to bottle shops asking for work, mm. and then you start offering to work for free. Mm. And then and then on it goes. On it goes. Then it you goes. just want and, to go to the bottle shop. Well, you just you you, you just spiral. And, yeah. and and you lose all your confidence. So I've been there. It is it is the worst thing, and uh, and there's going to be a lot of that. Yeah. And and so because there'd be a lot of let's 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 be honest, right? There'd be a lot of senior management people who are thinking, you know, that that saying that we used to we heard it said a lot in the early part of this: "Don't waste a crisis." Hmm. Well, there'd be a lot of business people who'll be thinking. We too are having a crisis, and now is the time under the cover of this, and I don't mean that in a sort of malicious way, but under the stress of all this, now is the time to do that restructure. Mm. Everyone's going to understand that, you know, we face different circumstances. We're going to close off that division. We're no longer going to do that thing that we were planning to do that everyone was excited mm. about. We're not doing it anymore. Put it on hold for a few yeah. years. Yeah. And, and, and if you replicate that even a bit, Across yeah. the economy, you're talking about quite a few. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's where think... Morrison. Sorry, Crow, to cut you off, but I think it's where Morrison is correct in saying you've got, you know, part of the solution is, is getting businesses to invest and employ again. I mean, nine nine out of ten of us work in the private sector, so everything everything has to be geared towards creating creating employment. You know, from the October budget on, just everything, and there are numerous ways to do that, but. Um, yeah, easier said than done. Mm. I think um, that we've still got to see a big answer on this question um, 
we all know that, say, when the October budget comes around, there are going to be um, questions about things like a, a business investment allowance, right? Mm-hmm. This is the idea that encourages business investment. It's a bit like a company tax cut, but it's more targeted. Um, and we all know that this, this is the thing that's out there in the agenda as a one option for them to do. And they can, the government, the federal government can do that. And Labor will support a, it. Labor yeah, actually took it's a actually, business investment. Hmm, yeah, that's right. Could, I think you could lock it in. One, of the, lock it in. one yeah. of the problems for Labor is, um, you know, sometimes they get told, don't talk about it too much because when the government hears that it's your idea, the government doesn't want to do it. You know, but let's no, face it. it was I think a, they've already signed off on it. it yeah, <laughs> it's, it's one option. But I don't think it's enough. I mean, you're looking at people who are, who've got skills, um, uh, find that those skills are no, no longer needed, need a job, and I think that the reskilling message out of the federal government is still insufficient. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're talking about what a six month online TAFE course. People are going to need a lot more than that, and there are some people with very, very good skills. I heard about a, a pilot the other day. You know, obviously with redundancies and massive write downs, there are planes being taken out of commission, yeah. he'll ne- probably never mm. fly again as a commercial pilot. Um, maybe that may change, right? But at a certain age, uh, they have to think, people have to start thinking about doing something completely different. And I think that that is going to require a very big effort from the federal government on reskilling a workforce. And, that and, that, and that's why it makes no sense whatsoever to, to sort of wage this ideological war against universities as part of this. No, I, I mean, agree the, more. I mean, you can sort of mount a technical argument as to why the universities don't get job care because supposedly they've got huge cash reserves or whatever, but it just reeks of an ideology. Hmm. And, and, and and it's just so, oh, what's the word, I don't know, incongruous that at a time where we're on our knees begging science to save us. Yes. You know, we're, we're at the mercy of our, of our, of our, of our researchers. Um, not 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 just in medical science for our front line, but but for for, for our, our 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 technology people, mm-hmm. you know, for our yeah. internet providers. And we hear, well. we've heard so much for years mm-hmm. about Australia's global competitiveness yeah. being this, you know, this and, is and, the and goal. They're st- and they're sticking the knife into the unis. I mean, the unis are. So, you were talking earlier, Mark, about you know, things that are are being fast-tracked, the demise of. I mean, you know, I I think probably one good thing will come out of this in the university sector is they'll ease their reliance on Chinese students, Mm. um, which has been a dangerous build-up over recent years. And we've seen what China's doing to everyone else. Once they get this dependency, they start using it against you. But but in the short to medium term, it's a whacking hit on university revenue and, and their ability to do what they do. So... I, and, and it's also it doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's also just mm. self defeating yeah, because is. this Massively is such an important yeah. employer yeah. sector, yeah. employment sector, yeah. uh, and it's been such an important export sector for the economy. So to just sort of say, oh, well, you're on your own. I, I, mean, I can understand why the government wants to encourage STEM, right, and wants to mm. offer a fee incentive for doing more science, doing more maths. That's great. But what I don't understand is why that comes at the cost mm. of other students because their fees have to go up. If you look across the economy, pretty much any sector of the economy can go to the government now and make a case and say, can you help us? The one sector of the economy that gets no extra dollars is the universities. Mm. And I understand that the universities have taken on a corporate model and they're selling a product overseas, and they're now suffering from a global shock, right? That happens in business. Well, they should get JobKeeper. Uh, but, but the fact <laughs> yeah, that they cannot get any assistance yeah. um, uh, makes no sense. I think they should be facilitating 
like the same way they're facilitating skills, they should be facilitating to you know university degrees like rather than you know putting one up and one down. And I, I think even cutting hex fees or you know yeah. well, offering incentives across the board because we're going to need. And the other thing is the generational. Issue see, see, that we're that seeing with this imagination crisis. Imagination and courage, right? Mm. That's what it actually involves: imagination mm. and courage. And we just haven't seen that level of. We've seen we've seen them get out the mm. checkbook, obviously yeah. the job keeper and job seeker, but we just haven't seen that level. I can of imagination. Look, look, I can under, yeah, I can understand that uh, when the budget's coming up, Morrison will take what's called the path of least resistance because he, in terms of things like the business tax incentive and stuff like that, he knows he has to get things going quickly, mm-hmm. so he's not going to spend you know, three years arguing with the Senate about cutting company taxes again because it's a waste of time and it probably won't happen. So do the tax incentive knowing Labor will support it. And there's going to be a few things like that, like these industrial relations changes. They're not that they're discussing with the ACTU. They're not radical. They're sort of areas where there's a mutually agreed sort of or there's a mutual consensus that there's problems mm. and it shouldn't be too hard to get consensus on a few of them uh, of the way through. So I think that's smart in the short immediate policy term, but you're right. You're going to have to probably on a secondary level think you know, more courageously in yeah. terms of reform and so forth. Well, there's federation reform. They well, really have to rethink who does what yeah. and be clearer about yeah. it. That This crisis is showing that. This crisis is also showing um, the generational issue that has been talked about for the last five or ten years. I mean, there's been good work done by the Grattan Institute and others showing the relative benefit to those who are older, because they're getting more tax break when they tax breaks when they're approaching retirement and so forth, and how tough it is for some of the younger ones now. Mm. And now we've got a government that it could make it a lot more tougher for some of those young people with higher fees, higher hex debts. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a limit to how much debt you can put on can, the I know, young kids. Can, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine being no. 21 now? Yeah. You know, and you just, and 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 you get out of uni, you owe the government seventy or eighty grand for your degree. You know, you know the nation will be in debt and deficit for the entirety of your working life. Yeah. So you're going to be paying higher and higher income taxes. You've got subtle chance of buying a bloody house. That's one thing that hasn't come down in price. And, and you're leaving <laughs> university into a, a recession. Yes. Which yeah. hasn't yeah. happened to an age, well, since well, I left university, yeah, basically. Yeah, but, yeah, but, since um, you left this university. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And so um, that, uh, you know, I think the government has to be thinking bigger about what it does to address that issue because that's a lot of disaffected people unless you've got an answer for them about what you're going to do. And that's a big test for Scott Morrison because he's shown he's got some some pretty good sort of politics chops. I mm. mean, he, he, he for example, he, he comes out with some – he gets the note of policy sometimes wrong but he's fairly quick to change mm. uh, and, 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 and he's done that a number of times. And I think, you know, to his credit – we want a government to be flexible in the face of new information and so forth, um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, it's infuri- infuriated some people. But we don't see much evidence of big, bold, imaginative policy at this stage. He's Maybe not a policy thinker, the prime minister. He's, no. he's not. A, he, he, he's a fixer. Yeah, he's a very good fixer. Show him a problem, I'll fix it. You know, he's mm. a good sort of, lo- you know, logistics guy. He'll set up structures to, you know, yeah. like he, to, to, to deal with the problem and stuff. But he's not a. He's not a visionary. Mm. You know, and who in the cabinet is going to come up with the big vision uh, for the recovery? It's, um, I mean, what we've seen at the moment is a lot of ministers are very low profile. It really is the Scott Morrison show mm. at a federal level. Just like the election campaign. Like, Yeah, that's yeah. right. Like the election campaign that worked for them with mm. the election. It's working for them now. But you're not seeing 
um, ministers out there champing at the bit to go and start crusading about what they want to fix. Well, if you're Josh Frydenberg, you are, I mean, you may not wish it to be this way, but you're a treasurer who has been handed a responsibility like few treasurers. I mean, people talk mm. about the great treasurers or the dominant treasurers anyway, people like Paul Keating and, and, uh, Peter Costello, you know, who dominated the, 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 the parliament at the time they were there. They were a big weight within the governments mm. they were in. Frydenberg is the treasurer at this moment and it is a great moment of economic peril and, I guess, opportunity down the track for the country, depending on how he responds to it. So this budget is a big test for him, isn't, mm, isn't it? Huge. It but is. he's also got, he's got a bit of a challenge. When he was energy minister, he had, he had a, an energy minister above him, which was Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah. Now he's treasurer. He's got a treasurer <laughs> above him and that's Scott Morrison. Yeah. I think that's why Matthias Corman might be shuffling off as well. I think he's, I think he's, I, he, I, he'll be a big loss. Corman will be a big loss to them in a yeah. budgetary sense. But in terms of the contestability of the arguments well, too he, within he, the cabinet. He was, he was the sort of last of the disciplinarians. So, um, yeah. um, but. I suspect, you know, he's he's sort of been squeezed out. He, look, he was going to go anyway, yeah. but I, don't, I think he feels less compunction. He's, he feels less needed. Now, we're getting close to time, but there is a, a, another issue that I want to just get your response to, and that is just your your opinions about the the, the choice of Kamala Harris and mm. what that means. I mean, Phil, you're a former US correspondent. Oh, um, I, look, I like her. I think she's, I think she's very impressive. I, I like her a lot more than either Biden or Trump, to be honest. Yeah. I see Biden. I think I'm a great grandfather. Um, <laughs> you know, look, look, you know, most, most thinking people, you know, we can't have Trump again. It's just, mm. just God, goodness, how, disastrous, how disastrous it would be. But I don't discount the possibility of him winning. In fact, I think it's quite possible he will win again. Um, but Harris, like she just, like, I don't know a lot. I don't know her or anything like that. But she strikes me as extraordinarily bright, competent, strong. I look at her and, you know, I think Biden's best chance is you sort of create this impression over the next couple of months, you vote for me, you get her. Yeah. Um, she's just so much, I, I don't know, she just strikes me a very impressive person. And, uh, and look, it's not just America needs it, the world needs it, to be honest. Yeah. We, we can't, we can't put up with this fellow for another four, four years. It's, it'll be devastating, you know, for, for the region. I, and, I've and, long been of the view, just before I come to you on this, David, I've long been of the view that Trump wouldn't win because, you know, he's, as I've told listeners of this podcast a few times, I think he's energized his opponents much more effectively than he's mm. grown his own base. I think he's energized his base, but I mm. don't see much evidence that he's grown it. Now, that said, I, I do think, and I've, I've noticed, uh, Trump's tone in the last few days, a couple of his improvised speeches have actually been quite good. I mean, you know, oh, yeah, for he's, him. he's reinventing himself. Yeah. Again. yeah. And I'm wondering whether yeah. there isn't this horrible sort of vortex of terror that, we're, that I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of thinking about now where, where Trump has set the bar so low that any improvement makes him look semi-presidential. I, I, I think it's spot on. That's exactly what he's doing. And, you know, memories are about a minute long in the US. And mm. just, yeah. Yeah. We, um, we speak the, the same language. We are immersed in American culture. We think we understand the place. We don't really understand it. Um, there's an element of that society that's drawn to Trump. And so you can never really sit back and think, oh, no, they can't possibly re-elect Donald Trump. They can. They did it last time. Mm. They can do it again. Yeah, Except you? with Kamala Harris, one thing that the Democrats got have got now is a way in which they can mobilise more voters to get out and vote. And that's one thing that Hillary did not do. That was the crucial well, she failing. She did have three million more votes, though, than, yes. than Trump. Yeah, but they, she didn't mobilise votes in the same way mm. that Obama did. And she energised. And that was a big She energised Trump supporters by calling them deplorables. But yeah. And so if, mm. if, if Kamala Harris 
helps the Democrats turn that around, then mission accomplished, and that could be the decisive factor. So it's actually, you know, it's a it's a smart move. What I also find really interesting about her is one of the criticisms is that um, people don't know what she stands for because she's been so cautious. And to me, it shows that that is one way in which, as a politician, you've got to be careful. She hasn't gone out too hard to alienate people on the left or the right through her career. She's been very cautious and it's actually paid just, off for her with the nomination. She just looks like the future. Mm. Neither Trump nor Biden look like the future. No. And, and, and you just think, God, in a country of 300 million people, that's the two best you can come up with. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, I'm not down on Biden, but I just think, you know, his time has come. Yeah, he's, he, just too, he's, he's definitely just too toward old. the end he's of his He's just too old, um, even though they don't sort of care much about age in America like we do here. But he doesn't look like a bloke who's going to do eight years in the White House. No. Yeah, look, but be, on, be honest about it. And no. that, and that mm. kind of becomes a possible attraction to voters. Well, well that's what I mean. It becomes it because they say, well, okay, so it's it's Biden, then it's Kamala. It's Kamala. That's what right? I mean. That's, that's a, she, she offers a path through. Right? And yeah. for some that's a positive and for some it will be a negative, yeah. you know, because of the race question mm. and because of the gender question. Well, yeah, which that's is, them to get over that rubbish. But well, we need it in the region. We need change in this region in the, in the Asia-Pacific. Yeah. We need leadership from America again. We need re-engagement in the region. Couldn't agree and more. Trump's not going to give us that. No. And we're having to do more of the heavy lifting with the Japanese and the Koreans and China has used the last four years to really sort of divide and conquer in the region. This is the thing. This is the thing about the Donald Trump presidency when people look back on it. The man who said, make us, make America great again, has been fantastic for China. Hmm. He's, I mean, and he this is. is the thing that Americans may realise at this election or may realise at a later point, but uh, that um, that president has, um, has let them down big time. Yeah. I mean, Obama made mistakes. Obama was too soft. So he kept redrawing red lines. You know, if you cross this line, okay, he drew another line. So it was under Obama that China really sort of took over the South China Sea and the East China Sea, and that's a common criticism both here and in the region. But Obama knew the value of alliances, and the thing is Trump doesn't put any value in alliances, and we're seeing this push now to basically this safety in numbers push by Australia and Japan, others that you get every country in the, in the Indo-Pacific, including India, Indonesia, Vietnam, Philippines, and you just use sort of force of numbers to try and, you know, stare down China and just force it to behave itself. That's now what we're resorting to and, and that really needs someone in the White House who's not an isolationist, both economically and militarily. So, you know, that's from the Australian perspective, that's where, you know, that's why they're, that's all, why they're, they're all secretly hoping Biden wins. That's why I was amazed when I saw uh, John Howard talking to Kieran Gilbert a, a month or so mm. ago and he was just pathetic on it. I thought it was really disgraceful what Howard had to say. He said Biden's not a strong alternative. It was it was Howard saying, you know, I'm I'm, st- I'm sticking with Trump. And I think from a, for, a, for a genuine conservative to be sticking with such a wrecker, such a, mm. uh, a someone who is so obviously antithetical to the best interests of this country and to basically to well, the democracy. conservative brand and to and, democracy. And, and against the best interests well, remember, of the United uh, States of America. Yeah, and exactly. Against- remember the press club in 2016, John Howard called him manifestly unsuited for the role. So. Yeah, and and Howard, uh, you know, he, he could claim, oh, well, I, you know, I don't like to get involved, I don't have a oh, vote. He, but he, we know he had a crack at Obama yeah, he when he was Prime Minister. Yeah, that's right. No, I was surprised at those comments. I thought it would be a bit more... Judicious than can, that. You can uh, never really underestimate the tribal nature of politics no, these days, can't. including here. It's not as bad as it is in the States, but John Howard cannot bring himself I mean, to say that the Democrat candidate is is the safer option. No, I know. And I mean, Greg Sheridan in The Australian wrote some very critical stuff about jo- Donald Trump for, you know, for, for the last few years, but 
now every piece seems to be. And I, I, yeah, I mean, not know. everything Trump's done has been evil or stupid. I mean, some of his, no, some of his foreign policy has been right. quite, uh, quite simplistically brilliant, you know, in terms of just ignoring the conventions and getting to the point and calling things out. And, yeah, I agree. But, and, and, he, and, yeah, look, the Chinese – as much as they've sort of flourished under him, they sort of don't. They don't like his volatility, and they're, they're keen to see him gone because his volatility scares them. You know, he could just turn on them one day and do something mad. So it's sort of like, yeah, he's like the drunk guy in the bar walking around with the beer, waving it like a loaded gun. You know, mm. yeah, whatever. You just you just don't know whether he's going to turn on you. So yeah, you know that that's from their perspective. But you know, not everything he's done has been silly. I think he's standing up to China in the way he has has been good. You know, trying to re-engage with North Korea might not have borne much, but, you know, it's, it's, he's just been prepared to do things differently. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that... But that's from an American perspective. It hasn't been to the benefit of the rest of us. So, yeah, yeah. You know, but it has the, been interesting to see him bust through some of those yeah. sclerotic conventions yeah, and yeah, get yeah. some things done. That's true. I, think I, we still, should re- I still see him as somebody who's... Whose whose tenure will be will be shown to be a period of weakening American power oh, yes. globally, yeah, yeah. and so oh, absolutely that's the that's the ultimate. Cost. It's a at a time it's a, where China's power is strengthening. I mean, that's the real. It's a worrying time. Shift. It's a worrying time. I remember uh, John Howard had, had, had a speech in Chicago in two thousand and five when everyone was jumping ugly on George Bush over the Iraq War, and, and yeah, rightfully so because that was a disaster. And everyone's predicting the demise of America. And, and I remember how gave this speech at the Foreign Affairs Society and he said, be careful what you wish for. If America isn't sort of running the world, who do you want, the yeah. Putin or the Chinese? You know, yeah. and, and it was a good – and I think we're now approaching that point. I, I came away from that G20 in Argentina, was it the end of 2018, probably? Yeah. Yeah, when when MBF, you know, the Saudi had just murdered oh, the, yes. murdered the journalist, yeah, was high fiving Putin, and that suddenly, was scary. And suddenly, it, it was it was sort of laid bare that the world was being run by bad men, yeah. mm. bad men who were just on off on a frolic. And and yeah, the Europeans are weak. Um, you know, Merkel's weak. She's a lame duck. The French have no real clout, and because America, you know, well, Trump admires these people. Yeah, you know he admires it, but he mm. doesn't. You know, look what China's doing in Hong Kong. Yeah, you think well, they doing that Colin if you had a, making yeah. in, in his? You think um, have, yeah. they'd be doing that if you had a strong U.S. president? Probably yeah. not. You know, and and it's been like that for a while now. There are bad men now in charge of the world in very powerful positions, whether it's Turkey or Russia or China or Saudi mm. or the U.S. And and you, where's the force? You know, for all America's flaws, where's the force for sort of democracy and good? It's it's not it's not it's not that obvious anymore. No, mm. that's right. Mm. Well, on that depressing note, we'll have to uh, wrap up. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Phil Curry and David Crow, for, for coming into the ANU studio for this Democracy Sausage Extra. It's been terrific having this discussion. It's just like old times, actually, like mm. we're sitting around in the, yeah. the corridor in the press gallery. Um, really great to have you here, and uh, we'll look forward to doing so again at some point soon. No Cheers, Mark. Bye for now. 